welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. It's a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call in, our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Well, we've been getting a lot of questions into the Ag PhD mailbag, so I think we're going to hit that right away here on our Farmer Friday. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, to begin the show, I've gotten a couple of emails, actually a few emails and comments from people in India. Uh, the first one is from Gurpreet, who says, You Americans are very lucky people and have four to 500 acres of land, whereas uh, we here in India usually only have five to 10 acres of land. Personally, I have just seven acres and can't afford a tractor. I do have an old Ford 3600. Uh, Gurpreet, yes, I think it's very common in our country to. Uh, take for granted what we have. So I have been to India. I've traveled to a lot of countries around the world, and uh, I got my brother Darren on with us now, too. He also has traveled around the world to a lot of different places, and I think we can both say um, we're really fortunate where we get to live and farm here in the United States and the opportunities that we have. Now, nevertheless, even with those opportunities, if you're going to take advantage of that, you got to work really hard, be smart, and there is a lot of risk in farming, whether you're farming seven acres or 7,000 acres. Uh, the next one comes in from, uh, let's see, Alpha, who uh, also from India, who says, I have, uh, first of all, hi, we are rose growers in India, and we have high sodium chloride. So, Darren, I don't think we talk on the show enough about sodic soils, but that's what we're really talking about here. When we have high sodium, typically it's considered a sodic soil. Now, when they say sodium chloride, that is different than just a straight sodic soil and just sodium. Sodium chloride is a salt, and it's a pretty harmful salt. It sure is. But it's also leachable, Brian, and if we can get good internal drainage in that soil by increasing our base saturation of calcium up to the 65% range and getting subsurface drainage to actually get those salts to flush out with a good rainfall year or a period of years, we can flush a lot of that out as long as we don't keep adding to the problem. If you have, if you have to figure out uh, first where that salt's coming from and then stop that. So if it's we're applying too much manure or we're applying a different type of fertilizer that has a lot of sodium, change that, stop putting the sodium on, and then, yes, improve the internal drainage and get that to leave because it really inhibits production. I had to dig through my stack of questions here, and I found the, the other one that had come from India. This one's from Harshpinder, who says, what can we do to lower soil pH when our sulfur is already really, really high? So this is something we talk often about on the show, that elemental sulfur can lower soil pH. But the first step is you got to make sure you have great internal drainage. So whether it's this question uh, just a minute ago about sodium chloride 
or it's this question from Harshbender, I, I would say we've got to have good internal drainage. And I realize in India, you probably don't have a tile plow available to you, or, or I should say readily available to you, but that's what it's going to take. In our country 100 years ago, people hand-dug tile lines a lot of times, like in our region of the country, six feet deep. And they dug it in the dug them in the winter when it was 10 or 20 degrees outside. So if that gives you any idea how important they felt the value of tile was, just think about the labor, the terrible working conditions, and what they had to do going six feet deep in the ground for miles on end for tile lines. But anyway, today what we typically do is put drain tile lines below the ground a lot of times at three or four feet deep and that will improve your drainage your internal drainage obviously and since sulfate's leachable and like darren was saying a minute ago sodium chloride is also leachable because it's a salt well then we should over time be in much better shape than we are today so what's typically going to happen is as that sulfate leaches out it's going to pull some other salts out along with it and maybe some magnesium and hopefully then your soil pH is going to come down as your soil is allowed to better drain so that's really probably the number one thing I'd say go ahead I got two things Brian first of all kudos for taking the soil sample that's really important we get a lot of questions how do I fix this soil problem and they haven't pulled the soil sample yet so by identifying you have lots of sulfur that tells us, yes, drainage is for sure a problem, and that's going to be a big part of the solution. And then number two, I always look at, at places like India uh, as having tons of potential. They're just a generation or two behind where farmers are at in our country in terms of uh, building up the capital, mechanizing things, those types of things. So, yes, you're doing things that previous generations in America did as well, and, and I get it. You're looking at what today's generation is doing. Once you have capital, you'll be able to do that. But to get to that point and to grow that farm and to raise bigger yields and make more money, you've got to do a lot of that hard work on the front side, unfortunately. Continuing on with that excess sulfur question, he also says in here, the calcium is low, but calcium increases pH. So can I use calcium or not? Well, Harshbender, I would just say if you're using lime, which is calcium carbonate, that will increase the pH. But if you're using gypsum, that will not. So I, I would take a look at, you know, every, well, first of all, if you want to send us your soil tests, we'd be more than happy to look at them. But if you have low calcium in your soil, this could be another one of the reasons why you don't have good internal drainage. Calcium is a relatively big molecule, and it's much, much bigger than what magnesium is, for example. So when you have high magnesium soils, you have poor drainage. You have high calcium soils, usually you have much better drainage. So we would suggest in a situation like this, if it was in our country, first thing I'd say, get tile on the ground. Second thing I'd say, get those calcium levels up and you're going to see that drainage improve and the salts are going to go out and over time the pH will come down. Stay tuned, it's Farmer Friday. Be right back. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. 
Learn more at poweroverweeds.com slash power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in at any point during our show, our phone lines will be open all throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Russell did from North Carolina. Hey, Russell, how are you today? I'm good, Brown. How are you? Excellent. So what's happening on your farm right now? Uh, we just finished up. Uh, we had a really nice uh, corn harvest. Um, had a little bit of rain during bean, but uh, most everybody's fill it, uh, finished up with bean harvest and pulling those fall soil samples and spreading lime and getting ready for next season so how did your crops turn out this year uh corn did uh corn did really well um stayed well above the county average and uh, we were happy with it and on our soybeans we've we've been playing around with some ideas we've learned from other farmers about planting a earlier variety and working with indeterminate varieties instead of determinate and yep. uh the overall farm average was excellent, but um, the results will be in December 10th, but I, I think we set a new state record this year in soybean yield. Oh, wow. Nice. So what are maybe a couple of tips that you would have just for any farmer out there in order to get higher-yielding soybeans, regardless of whether it's determinate, indeterminate, early season, late season, whatever? What are some common things that you do to bump those yields? Uh Biggest, biggest thing, biggest factor for us, Brian, is, is getting uh, planted early. Uh, we actually plant beans before corn here, and uh, we've seen that pay off huge in yield. And mm -hmm. um, the other part is, is, is we do a ton of tissue sampling. I mean, we, we still tissue sample corn, but uh, we walk those beans weekly and, and, and sometimes several times a week. But uh, really focusing on nutrient management, and we've started putting a little bit of nitrogen uh, through our planter two by two just to get those beans up uh, before they're nodulating and we've seen excellent stand counts go up with that and we even started playing around three or four years ago with uh, we actually top dress a little bit of potash and sulfur and nitrogen uh, right around r1 to r3 depending on timing and 
that that's been a, a big factor for us. Seeing uh, we're not as we're not aborting as many pods that way. Now, do you have lighter soils that you're working in? Uh, we've got heavy uh, dark red clays, um, real real tight, um, heavy ground. So it's um, it's it's an issue sometimes for us. Yeah, I was just wondering when we talk about top dressing uh, potassium on it, it really in any crop. The challenge in our geography is we just don't have a lot of rain. So, like, what do you get for rainfall over the course of an average growing season? Do you have any idea what that'd be? Yeah, I would say from from pretty much you know March, um, the end of March all the way through I'd say September, we're probably you know twenty five, twenty eight inches during the actual growing season. Our our sure. annual precepts. 40 to 45. Yeah, gotcha. Um, okay, coming back to, you said tissue sampling. What things do you commonly see in your tissue samples where you say, oh, I got an issue here and I need to do something in my field to take care of it? One of one of our biggest issues um, is boron. We've, we've got low CEC ground, um, doesn't hold nutrients very well, but, but typically, you know, year in and year out, putting a foliar in with boron pays very big for us. How high do you go with that boron? You putting a pint of straight boron on a gallon? I mean, what what are you doing? So if we're if we're going out, um, we'll put you know like a ten percent liquid boron. We'll probably put on about a quart to a quart and a half. Yeah. Um, and and it varies between fields because one of the things we've tried to do over the years is, is still use a a granulated type of micronutrient to actually build build soil nutrients, but. Um, you know, if, if you're lacking there, at least those, those foliars do seem to act as a band-aid. Now, we've been talking for just a few minutes, Russell, about soybean production, and you've mentioned different nutrients uh, several times already, and I, I think the average farmer just thinks, you know what, soybeans are a pretty good scavenger crop. I'll fertilize my corn, and then we'll just see what happens with the beans. I'm sure it'll take them out. So how do you feel about that, and, and for how long have you been actually fertilizing the beans, not just letting them scavenge for whatever nutrients are there? So to tell the truth, I, I would have been like every other farmer 10 years ago when we started farming. Uh, we, we put on good fertility for corn, came back with beans. Oh, you know, like you said, a scavenger crop. And mm-hmm. uh, 2016, we started paying attention that um, corn responds better to fertilizer and beans respond better to fertility. And uh, we make sure that our ground fertility is uh, is in, in, in where it needs to be before we actually put the crop in. Um, and we just supplement a little over top. But it's it's a night and day difference. Um, even talking about, you know, beans making their own nitrogen, they, they can only do that to a certain point. And if you're, you know, expecting, you know, 50 or 60 bushel beans or better than that, you know, down here, we've, we've got to put some supplement with it. Interesting stuff. Again, we've been talking with Russell over in North Carolina. Russell, hope you break that state record, and thanks a lot for calling in today. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good day. Yep, you too. All right, we got Brad calling in from Iowa now. Hey, Brad, how are things going on your farm today? Well, you know, it's actually pretty easy going. We've got everything kind of wrapped up, and we've got our attention turned to next year. So we're busy getting products at home in the shop and getting uh, make sure we have them on hand so when we want to start running next spring, we got it. All right, so I think that's the number one topic that I've talked to farmers about this fall is getting product on hand. So are we talking seed here, crop protection, fertilizer? What product specifically are we looking at? Yeah, so probably all the above. So we haven't got our seed yet. That'll probably come in right after the first year, but we've 
got locked in and doesn't look like seed supply is going to be much of an issue. No. Um, but it's been more of kind of picking, we're changing things up a little bit on the crop protection. So we've got that all figured out now. Uh, so we got most of that at home. We got uh, maybe a few things we're missing. So for both corn and soybeans. And then from the fertility, we've got a mixture of things that we decided to try some, uh, both at planting and uh, to do some foliar nutrition uh, for next year. So we're not doing it on all acres, but kind of locking in to say, you know, trial wise, what can we do just because of things being more expensive. So just trying to figure some things out and learn. All right. Can I assume here that at this point in the year, you don't normally have all your chemical and fertilizer sitting there, correct? No, not usually. Usually we get, start getting that stuff in February, March. But uh, yeah. this year we just went ahead since uh, people had prices and it was available, went ahead and got it. That way we don't have to worry about it. You can sleep a little easier at night, I guess. Definitely. Okay, so you, you've talked about going into 2022. Is there anything you're doing different? Anything you are trying that new that you think, oh, hey, I'm pretty excited about this? Um, probably the big thing is we've, the last two years, we've done in furrow nutrition on the planter and we've been, we've basically had no ROI with that. So we decided to switch that up and we're going to try a few acres of just without investing in all the uh, mechanical pieces to do a kind of a two by zero, a surface dribble, if you will, Mm -hmm. with some nitrogen to try to help us out a little bit more with our early stages or early ugly stage in corn, if you will. Um, mainly because we use anhydrous as our main source of nitrogen and we put that deep. And yep. so we're hoping that, uh, that moves through the profile and, and kind of kicks us off and get a better start. I mean, we're not, this year was really good yields, even with the dry year, but, uh, we still like to try to help with that early plant development a little bit more. So is the corn just looking yellow early and that's the reason why you're interested in this? A little bit, yeah, we have a little bit early that it's, it's yellow, and then it seems to sit there, and then when we do hit the anhydrous, if we don't hit it perfectly straight with the row, for example, mm-hmm. if it's at an angle, we can see it green up quicker, Yep. and we're wondering how much that's creating then kind of an uneven ear height that we're seeing at harvest, too, yep. um, because I think emergence-wise, we come up pretty good, so we're just trying to equal th- equalize things out a little bit and try to you know increase yield a little bit. Yep, makes complete sense. So how much nitrogen are you thinking about dribbling over the row or two by zero at least? So the most uh, right now, the max we'll do is kind of a 10 gallon per acre. So we'll get, you know, close to 30 pounds. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. That's certainly not uh, excessive or anything like that. I assume you have relatively heavy soils. Yeah. We're in uh, usually 18 to 20 cc's. Yeah. Yep. So pretty similar to us. All right. Well, hey, Brad, it's been great talking to you today. Uh, Thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate that. And uh, hope things go well for you in 2022. Yeah, I hope it does for you too, too. Have a good weekend. Yep. Thanks. You too. All right. It is Farmer Friday here on the show. If you would like to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get back to the agphd mailbag a little bit later in the show. But right after this, we'll jump back to the phone lines with your phone calls. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. 
Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. We're taking phone calls from you and right now we're going to jump back to the phone lines we got tony wendler our friend with farm shop mfg calling in right now hey tony how are you doing today excellent brian yourself not too bad so i i was just curious in your area in iowa i assume that harvest is all done field work is all done i mean is anybody still working in the fields doing anything a little bit of uh, working on tile fixing some tile things like that that's the that's the only thing and what a great few days to be doing it if you've got that job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It has been way warmer than normal, which leads me to my next question. Because it's been so much warmer than normal this late, how's that impacting grain quality in grain bins today? And then depending on your approach to what you're doing, for uh, for corn, obviously, the guys who want to freeze their corn, uh, you're not getting much opportunity. The guys who are looking to store it at a little above freezing, 
you know, we've had some uh, knights and things like that that are going to cooperate to help you get it done. Uh, changing moisture in beans here. The last few weeks have uh, actually been really dry air. Uh, not getting a lot of run time on fans to, to get favorable humidity. Uh, last, I'm going to say, 10 days or so. Uh, looks like next week that'll change a little bit, but it's going to get too cold and the fans will shut off for low temperature. The uh, So it, depending on what you're doing, uh, it's some pluses and some minuses. Uh, the guys who had uh, dumped corn hot, uh, they hopefully got their bins cooled down. Need to be thinking about that. And uh, you got some opportunity here with this air to do it. So it just uh, depends on what your plan is. All right. You mentioned storing corn below freezing. How do you feel about that? versus storing it just above freezing at, let's say, 35 to 40 degrees? Uh, above freezing is the uh, is the correct way to do it. Uh, and managing your grain there, The uh, I, I know it's something that, Brian, you don't uh, really like. I My uh, extension guy got me to do it with corn because it kills all the bugs and cracks all the eggs. Oh. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, you don't have to be uh, spraying your bins, and I thought, gosh, that's I like that because <laughs> I was uh, Midwest Planning Service maintained it in the mid 30s for decades. Yeah, and uh, I asked them why these these guys with these huge bins were freezing it, and they wouldn't even thaw it out. And I said, how did I get by with that? And uh, his comment was, they're rotting corn like you would expect on the edges. Yep, there is just uh, so much volume there that they just don't, uh, it blends off and they can't tell it. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, we've always cleaned out our bins, sprayed our bins on the inside, and I don't remember us ever having a bug problem, but we aren't holding grain for multiple years, and we've tried to do everything we can to manage those bins, and both inside and out. So we just haven't had a bug problem, but, I mean, that makes complete sense that you would kill off the bugs if you do get that temperature cold enough. Yeah, that was the that was the epiphany for me why I changed on corn. I don't freeze beans, but I do freeze corn. And uh, yeah, that was his. Uh, you know, Tony, here's why you want to do it. And I, oh, I like that idea. Hmm. Life is life is easy when you just got to freeze the bin once a year. Yeah, it, it's just so. like you say, the problem is the spoilage that you're most likely going to have to deal with. And it, and it depends a lot on when you're taking this grain out, too. Our, our crop prices have been good enough the last couple of years. We pulled a lot of our grain out in the wintertime. And then it's also a time of year where we aren't super busy on the farm. So we had the time to do it. Um, some years in the past, we'd, we'd pull grain out during planting season or when we're spraying. And we just, we don't have a lot of time then and everybody gets stressed out. So we just started moving our date up. And I think that's helped us a little bit too, why we don't have bugs in that grain. One of the things, Brian, on the, the, the temperature, I, I have small bins. I warm mine up. I maintain them at freezing in the winter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in March, I warm mine back up to uh, close to ambient temperature. Got it. And uh, through the spring, I will bring that grain up if I got grain in the summer. And I do have a bias towards that for some of the better opportunities. Uh, I'll get that uh, core temperature up to about 65. I'll try to hold it there. Although the last couple summers with this warmer air, that's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, I ventilate my bins every month with the appropriate temperature of air for what the grain is stored. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of so, work if you're going to store grain, but when you do it that way, you can absolutely keep it in a lot better condition. We've been talking to Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Just go to farmshopmfg.com if you want to learn more about the things that Tony's doing. Tony, thanks for the time today. Have a great day. Thanks, Brian. Yep, Bye. you too. All right, let's go next out to the state of Michigan. Got Alan calling in. Hey, Alan, what's happening on your farm today? Oh, it's a little rainy here, but we're getting things done that... Uh, we could do when it's like this. I barely remember what rain looks like, Alan. We've been really dry for a year and a half now. So, and we got pretty much all our fall work done. So, I I'd, I'd be fine getting a little bit of rain now. Maybe you can share some of that. Well, I was in line to have my best soybean <laughs> crop ever. We had a yep. dry spring. Yep. And uh all went in the ground beautiful. Everything came up looking great. Then we got 9 inches of rain in one week. Oh, wow. And, and what I'm week not- was that? Uh, that was earlier in the spring, must have been in June. Okay. First first part of June. Yep. So a lot of my crops went underwater. The soybeans looked yellow for about uh, two or three weeks. Ooh. But I, I put a foliar feed on them and gave them manganese, and uh, they kind of came out of it, but I still, on my heavier clay soil, uh, they were real short. Sure. So that was a problem. Yep. How did everything else turn out for you on the farm this year? Uh, good. Actually, I was 100% soybean, so my average was about 42 bushel, so okay. it's not great, but I, it could have been worse, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And but I do lo- have a question for oh, you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, I've got, if when you do a soil test, they say I have blount loam, and uh, but the problem with that is that's the top 6 to 10 inches. Yep. Underneath that, I've got blue clay. And I've tiled my farm. Uh, that, that's the best money you can spend around here is tiling. Yep. But w- even though we're pretty shallow, when when that water hits that blue clay, it just lays on top and it doesn't soak in. So, uh, you know, I've done deep ripping and things like that to try to get it to go down. Mm-hmm. I've got everything tiled, 40-foot grid tiling, okay. spacing. Yep. Uh, now, the price of lime has gone up. You know, they want $50 a ton now to spread lime. Okay. So what I was wondering, because my best soils are high in calcium. Yep. Where the water can go through. Right. So lime is going to cost me $50 a ton. We have access in Michigan, on the western side of Michigan, to sand. And I thought, well, wouldn't sand have a lot of calcium in it? And, you know, because that's what we're trying to get with the lime is calcium. What if we used, I can, I can buy sand for $6 a ton and sand. spread it myself. <laughs> uh, Could you use sand as a soil amendment on clay and, and it would mix and give you some sort of a, you know. Alan, that's a fantastic question. I can't, I can't honestly tell you that in over 30 years as an agronomist, I've ever had anybody ask me, Brian, can I go spread a bunch of sand on my ground? <laughs> I, I really, I don't, I, I know I have never had that question before. Uh, is it possible? Sure it is, but you'd have to, to till it in and, and get it incorporated into there. But you know, ultimately, you're going to lower your cation, your soil's cation exchange capacity, and I, I just think it would take a tremendous amount of sand. But yeah, I mean, six dollars doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I, I just think it's going to take a lot of tons because you think about even in six inches of soil across one acre, that's two million pounds. So if you put two thousand right. pounds out there, 
it just doesn't amount to much. So let's put it this way. If I was going to do any of this, I'd try it on a very small scale and just see what ends up happening. But uh, let, let me ask you this. Do you have soil tests for down to that blue clay? So like going down every, let's say, 6 or 12 inches down till you hit that blue clay and into the blue clay. Do you have soil tests down there? I do not. I, I always have the soil test in the top six, six inches. Yeah, so I, I've done grid, grid sampling on soil tests, but it doesn't really tell you what's underneath. Right, right, exactly. Hey, Alan, we got to take a quick break here. I'll talk about that after uh, this, this break, but if you want to hang on, we can certainly visit a little more. Stay tuned. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out CanDo Financing on Case IH tractors and hay tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Right before the break, we were talking with Alan from Michigan with an interesting issue. He just said, hey, I've got tile, and it's down into this blue clay. Unfortunately, I'm not getting the best drainage because when the water hits the blue clay, it's not moving through very well. So, Alan, we actually have some blue clay on our own farm, and I was surprised to find out we had some blue clay. I didn't even know it in some of our ground until we started tiling years ago. And we've actually had fairly decent drainage even getting down to that. But the way that water moves in horizons in the soil like from the A horizon to the B horizon, for example, it doesn't just go straight down. What happens is it it likes to reach a saturation point in the A horizon, and then it starts dropping down into the B horizon. And so I can totally understand how this isn't moving very well for you. But one of the big things that we often talk to people about is just the amount of calcium that's in the soil. And you did mention that, and you said some of your best soils are where you have high calcium. It's the same thing for us. So if lime's expensive, the other alternative that we usually will talk to people about is gypsum. Now, if your soil pH is low, there is no alternative. You just have to put lime on, even you know, regardless of the cost. But if your pH is okay or even high, that's when we usually will discuss gypsum with people. And a lot of times, because of the calcium and the sulfur that's in there, then we usually start getting a little bit better porosity in that soil and a little bit better drainage going through that. But yeah, we, yep. we work with I've a been, lot of. I've been. Oh, go ahead. Been, yeah, I've been adding gypsum to the soil. Yep. Uh, put a ton on. You know, I probably put five or six ton of gypsum on this ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically about a ton per acre. Gotcha. Uh, per year. And, but uh, I'd have wet spots out in the field where I'd have water standing. And uh, after I grid tiled it, I'd have the guys come out and they would dig down. Yeah, you know, I'd say, hey, we must have a problem with the tile line. So they dig down. Nope, tile lines free and clear. Just water can't get to it. Yep, yep. So, do you think uh, when you put gypsum down, if you did some deep tillage beforehand and and made those slots, you know, I can I can pull a ripper down to about seventeen inches. Mm-hmm. And do uh, you think that that would let that gypsum go down into that soil? Well, it's possible. A lot of times, what people will do in your situation is they'll put the gypsum on first and then do the tillage. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the the thing that we talk about all the time with just tillage in general is it can create hard pans down in the soil. So very commonly, like what we end up talking to people about who have this type of issue is running with a narrow point and a straight shank. So it's not turning everything over and it's not busting everything up there and just basically moving the compaction layer deeper. It's cutting some slices in through the ground that will allow roots to penetrate and also allow water to penetrate through. So that's what right. we've I done. I have in- first ripper with those type of points. Oh, okay. Sure. Yep. Yeah, so, so we've used that on our own farm with fairly decent success. But, I, I mean, beyond that, I guess the, the only other thing I would say is I'd like to see, like, it, let's just take the worst of your spots, just even a couple of spots, and, and test every six inches going clear down into that blue clay. I'd be interested to see what those soil tests look like, and then maybe we'll, we can give you a little bit more insight into why things aren't moving through. Okay, that sounds good. I'll do that and send you the result. That'd be great. All, All right. right. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. All right, bye. 
All right, let's head north of the border. We're going up to Manitoba. Got Wes calling in. Hey, Wes, how are you today? Oh, I'm just doing fine. So we've had a really warm, dry fall where we farm, basically straight south of you down in South Dakota. How's it been for you this fall? Uh, were you able to get some things done a little bit later in the season than normal? Uh, right. We had a, a very dry summer and uh, dry up till well, probably the beginning of October. And then we got a real good rain here. Um, and then uh, about three weeks ago, we ended up with about five inches of snow. So I do believe that our uh, moisture situation going into spring will be fairly good on the um, fields. Good. Certainly need some snow to uh, fill up some you know, so we'll get some runoff to fill up the dugouts and reservoirs. They are uh, really dry. Sure. Yep, same thing for us right here. So how did your crops turn out despite all that dry weather? Um, they certainly were lower in yields. I would say, uh, you know, 30 to 40% lower yields than normal. Um, just yep. It was just so dry. And that's, uh, the, the quality was very good, but uh, the yields certainly were down. Sure. So... As you start looking at next year, you already said, um, you know, or at least you're starting to get some moisture. So hopefully you've got some some moisture to get things started in the spring. Is there anything else you're looking at new and different going into 2022? Well, I guess uh, I, I didn't do any fall tillage this year. We're going to try going zero till on everything, which is a different. We've done, you know, different fields in the past, but never done the whole farm. So I guess that's going to be different, uh, mainly to try and conserve moisture. Sure. Yeah. The state that I'm in, in South Dakota, it's very different from the east side of the state to the west side of the state. And, and every 50 or 100 miles you go west, the moisture just drops off that much more. And I just remember 30 years ago when I was a young agronomist in the center part of the state, and especially in what we call West River, South Dakota, they there were a lot of people that were doing chem fallow. So it was crop it one year, fallow it the next year, go back to crop again. And a lot of that went away when people started no-tilling 20 and 30 years ago. So hopefully you're, you're able to conserve a little bit more moisture and that'll help you out. My fear is that one of the challenges we always ended up with is when we were no-tilling, uh, the soil's a little bit colder. And obviously where you farm, it's even colder than where I farm. So what crops do you typically raise in the farm or which crops are you putting into this zero till? Well, we're going to be doing red spring wheat, uh, canola and soybeans. Okay. And uh, I, I guess we do have an option of uh, running over fields with a pro-till in the spring. If we find that uh, sure. things aren't warming up enough, we can do that. And it's just, uh, but if we can, we're going to try try doing zero till i've done some canola and and quite a bit of wheat in the past but i've never zero tilled soybeans so this is going to be new for us sure yeah there are a lot of people that do no-till when it comes to soybeans all over the united states and certainly up into canada just a little bit as well so i think you'll have pretty good luck with that one of the biggest things that we talk about when you do have a no-till soil and it's going to be a little bit colder hopefully you're going to have a little more moisture there is just making sure you have a good seed treatment getting that seed off to a good start and then usually you're in pretty good shape the other big thing that i noticed when we start switch to switch a bunch of our acres to no till probably 25 years ago is the change in weeds there were some weeds that showed up and i go what the heck is this weed and why is this weed out in our field it it just ended up being a little bit different compared to when we were tilling everything all the time 
Okay. Well, that's interesting. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. I have a question on your, uh, in regards to the Insider, uh, your sure. magazine. You had mentioned in the soil testing about changing um, your request for soil samples to the Melic 3 instead of the yep. DTPA. Yep. Just wondering, is that something that uh, is a check mark or an ask on the ordering forms? Or how do you go about uh, yes. getting that particular result? Yeah. Yes. So you could just talk to whatever soil lab you're dealing with. The the couple of things that I really like about the Malik 3, number one, it's usually half the cost of the DTPA. So for us, we like doing a lot of soil tests. So, I mean, it amounts to tens of thousands of dollars of savings for us. But the other big reason that we wanted to switch over to the, the Malik 3 was manganese. With the DTPA, we just aren't, we don't believe that the manganese levels are right. Um, it doesn't seem to vary at all, regardless of how much manganese I throw out in that soil. Whereas the Malik 3 gives us a different reading where we've applied a whole bunch of manganese versus where we haven't. So that's the real reason why we wanted to switch was that manganese. Oh, that makes uh, perfect sense. If it's going to reflect on what you've put on the soil, that's for sure. Yep. Now, the the big thing that a lot of people will talk about, especially as you go across the border up into Canada, is just we like, and, and we always have, like the Olsen test for phosphorus, and you can still get that if you want. But what the Malik 3 is going to show is a much higher number than the Olsen test for phosphorus. The Malik 3 is going to show you more what's available today plus what hopefully will come available over the course of the next season, whereas the Olsen test just tells you what's available today. Hey, uh, Wes, we got to run, but thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. Yep, you too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We're going to jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Got a question from Shane. How do we control Devil's Claw? We had a wildfire happen a couple years ago and have noticed some Devil's Claw starting in some areas where the fire went through. Well, uh, Shane, I don't know exactly what crop we're talking about here. If it's, let's say, rangeland, uh, pasture, then usually we just talk about dicamba and 2,4-D, and it doesn't work too bad as long as you get that rate up there. I mean, it all depends on what crop we're, we're dealing with here, though, in, uh, let's say it's sorghum or wheat. We usually will talk about husky. In wheat, I actually prefer husky FX. That's husky plus starane. In corn and soybeans, generally speaking, Roundup. And again, dicamba, 2,4-D just depends on the trait that you've got. If you got a specific question or a, uh, a, a crop specifically you wanted a recommendation for, just let us know. Uh, Nicholas uh, sent us a question saying, where can I purchase chemicals for Extend Flex beans? Uh, Nicholas, you can get those just about anywhere at uh, pretty much any ag retailer. Unfortunately, with ExtendFlex, we got three chemistries that can be used that can't be used in conventional beans, and two of the three are really short in supply right now. Glyphosate, or Roundup, uh, Liberty, or the generic, and then the other one is Extendamax or Ingenia, the approved versions of Dicamba for those beans. Those are available, Extendamax and Ingenia. But uh, glyphosate and glufosinate, which is Liberty, those are pretty tight this year. Now, you'll be able to find them somewhere before spring, so I won't get too worried about it. It's just you're not going to like the price because the price of both of those chemistries is about triple what it was at this point last year. Uh, and then Tracy says, uh, hi, guys. I was wondering, do you guys have any caps at Ag PhD? Well, we do. If you go to agphd.com and look under the Ag PhD store, you'll find caps there. All right. Uh, Next one is from Gurpreet, who, who was commenting on, we were talking the other day about manure versus compost on our television show. Uh, and he says, do you mean that compost loses nitrogen when it's make, made or processed and manure ha- just flat out has more nitrogen and other nutrition? Well, look, Gurpreet, because of the way that um, the compost is produced or let's see how can I how can I phrase this properly when you have finished compost there is going to be less nutrition available today now that doesn't mean that over the long term there's going to be less but think about it just like in your soil if you apply 
fertilizer. Let's say you put urea out there. Okay, that's available today or, or, or real soon. But on the other hand, if you have soil organic matter, that releases a little bit of nitrogen every year for many, 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 many years. And that's basically what we're talking about in terms of the difference between manure and compost. Manure is typically going to fully break down in two, three, four years, something like that. When it's compost, it might be 20 years before all that nutrition comes available. Now, I, I, I will also say when my brother Darren and I were growing up on the farm, we had hogs and we had cattle, and it it smelled bad <laughs> around our farm because of all the livestock. But my dad would always say, boys, that's the smell of money. Look, that is not the smell of money. That's the smell of lost money. When you can smell the manure or, or whatever it is that, that you've got on the farm and, and you're smelling that, uh, what are you smelling? Well, you're, you're smelling nutrients in a lot of cases, and it's going up in the air. We don't want stuff to go up in the air. So this is the reason why, like, even spreading manure, we talk about trying to either incorporate it right away or inject it or do something so it gets down in the ground so we can fully utilize all those nutrients rather than seeing, seeing them go up in the air. So anyway, uh, if you got more questions, just let us know. We appreciate that. All right, Dwayne called in during the show and uh, didn't have time to stick stick around here and uh, visit with me, but he just asked this question. He said, you were talking about tissue testing on corn and doing it a few times a week. Um, Dwayne, we were talking about doing it maybe once a week, and I think it was, let's see, Russell earlier in the show that was talking about tissue sampling. Yeah, it was Russell earlier in the show from out in North Carolina. I don't think anybody that I know of is tissue sampling multiple times a week. But once a week, yes. And like for Dwayne, his next question was, well, I'm a wheat grower, not a corn grower. Would it pay to tissue test wheat? Yes, it probably would. You're going to learn something. And I'm not saying you have to do lots of spots, but we usually tell people, take the best area of your field, the worst area of your field, just take a spot and GPS market so you can always come back to it, soil test there, and then tissue test every week during the growing season in those couple of spots. And you're probably over time going to find out why the good area is good, why the bad area is bad, and maybe what you need to do to get that bad area up so you have better yield in that bad area in the field. But anyway, at, at least do some. It's it, it's a learning process for you, and also it's going to get you out in your field every single week and looking at it just a little bit more. Dwayne also asked if, if anyone was using any equipment to try to get results very quickly in terms of tissue analysis. Uh, no, we haven't really found any, any equipment that you can just go out in the field and see what your nutrient levels are right there. We hope that comes around someday. But what a lot of people will do if they're relatively close to a tissue analysis lab is they will run it to the lab, and then they can get started a little bit earlier. Otherwise, you're usually talking three to five days before you get the results back. All right, uh, next one here is from David, who sent in some soil tests. And he said, I, I've got soil tests from a couple different spots for the Kinsey seminar that's coming up February 22nd through the 24th. So maybe Neil could look at these and you guys could as well. David, first of all, thanks for sending that in. And for anybody listening, if you would like to attend our seminar, it's going to be right at the Ag PhD Field Day site in the Morton Center. It's February 22nd through the 24th with Neil Kinsey. Now, all of our Ag PhD workshops this winter are free. This is a Neil Kinsey 
soil and fertility seminar. It's a three-day seminar, and it does cost some money, but it doesn't cost that much money, especially considering I think you get seven meals out of the deal and a book and everything else. So anyway, just go to our website, agphd.com, look under the events tab, and you'll see the Neil Kinsey seminar coming up so you can look there for more information. But anyway, just real quick, David, on your soil tests. So he sent in both a Midwest Labs test and a Kinsey Labs test on this soil, and that's great. We like that. Neil especially likes that because uh, then he's got his own information where he can say, all right, this is what my lab showed, and then you can compare it to whatever other lab you're using. But anyway, the number one thing that we almost always talk to farmers about is low potassium. We see this all across Minnesota, and we can easily fall into this trap of saying, well, like in, in this one spot where you've got 349 parts per million of potassium. Well, most people are going to say, and even on the soil test here, it says very high. Well, unfortunately, it's not very high. And the reason why is because your calcium levels and your magnesium levels are ridiculously high. So if you've got calcium and magnesium ridiculously high, well, guess what? You have to make potassium ridiculously high as well. Otherwise, you're just simply not going to get enough into the plant, especially in a dry year. So we would just suggest where you've got 2% base saturation potassium that you bump that. That's number one. Number two when we're talking 40 parts per million on a P1 Bray test, I mean, it's not bad. It's certainly not bad. But if you're going for big-time yield, we do like seeing more. And then as you raise phosphorus levels, you probably have to raise zinc levels because we usually like to see that about 10 to 1. Beyond that, you got really low sulfur. I mean, like single-digit parts per million on sulfur and boron less than one part per million. So those are things that need to be addressed as well. But again, Neil can certainly comment on that when he is here too. All right, and let's see. Uh, Marl said, how do you account for different root depths? An annual crop has to utilize less than uh, less of the soil than a perennial crop. So if I'm growing a crop within the first four inches of soil on one side of my property and another with deeper 12-inch roots, how do I take that into account? Well, typically, soil tests are pulled six inches deep. And we're usually talking about for fertilizing that top six inches. But I would say even for annual crops, I'm going to be super unbelievably sad if I don't have roots going down to 12 inches within the first month after I've planted and I'm dead serious. And I don't care if we're raising corn, soybeans, wheat, any crop that it is. Um, you want to really take a look at what can we do to reduce compaction and keep the water table down so roots are able to go down deeper sooner. So yes, it's true, perennial crops, they're going to be able to take advantage of more soil fertility early in the season in that 6 to 12 inch range, but definitely by mid-season and late season, most crops can do it if you give them the chance to do it. But that's a very good question. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle was running the controls for me again today. Thanks to everybody who called into the show and everybody who wrote in with questions. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.